This episode of Rockcast is brought to you by Rock sponsor IT OneSource. Any IT products and services solutions can be acquired through IT OneSource. Connect with them today at rockrms.com slash sponsors. Welcome to this special edition of Rockcast, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes with rock. Sometimes in our special editions, we have the opportunity to interview someone in the community who has some great insights to share. And sometimes we have like a special topic. And today is one of those special topic days. And it's something that we've been talking about internally for quite a while and just feel like there's a lot of value and benefit in sharing with the community. Uh, especially on the heels of the conference where some of these conversations, I think, uh, naturally occur and come up. So today we're going to be talking about best practices inside the context of rock. And it's a, a really exciting topic to help narrow down. Of course, there are a million and one ways to do anything in rock, but are, is there a best way? And in some cases, there are just options and they're equally valid. And in other cases, there are things that it would be helpful to know. These are things you should do or maybe some things you might not want to do. And here are the reasons why and some considerations. So we're going to chat about some of those today. And um, let's start out with uh, the very top of the list, some things you might want to be super careful about inside Rock. Okay, so the first one, don't edit core blocks. So Nick, why can't I edit core blocks? Well, that that's a really um, good one because when we create updates on patches and, and releases of Rock, we will often replace large parts of the blocks that are out there. So those are going to get wiped out the next time you hit update. So never, ever edit a core block. That's just kind of a cardinal sin of Rock. Don't edit a core block. It will get lost. So it's kind of like throwing a boomerang and it's going to come back and hit you. It will definitely bite you. And it depends, you know, if you did it um, a long time ago and it just, you got lucky because it hasn't gotten updated yet, that day is coming. Good point. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of a landmine that it will eventually go off. So what about, I I want to make some edits to a block so I so I kind of fork the block. So I make a copy of the block, I make some changes to it, and I don't put it in the same place it's going to get overwritten. Okay. You know what? Why might not I not want to do that? Guilty as charged. I have done that in, in a former role. Um, I, for my own internal use, like we just needed a, a little change. And um, what we did was we would give it a different name and again, never release that to anybody else. That's kind of the main thing. Like the the source is open source for your True, use, but there's still a trip hazard there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a model changes, something else in the mm-hmm. in the core logic changes, and you, yep, you're you out chasing on a very end of a very thin branch. So that's one of those things where if you do that, you're going to regret it. And every time we went to update, we said, "Oh, look at how." much that block changed we had to keep our block in in sync with it and it's just not worth it so we recommend don't do that yeah and i think we've worked with a lot of churches who've come back to us and said hey our former employee did all this and now we have a complete mess and they're not here anymore what do we do and they didn't write down what they changed or where they put it yeah and even if they did they still left with a mess like they don't they can't upgrade anymore consult a partner if you're in that situation um, 
Yeah. Uh, so I would say don't do that. Like if there's something you don't like, put it into the ideas, you know, area or or reach out to Spark and say, hey, I'd like to fund a feature here. Can you add a block setting that does X? It's it's a little bit more work in the short term, mm-hmm. but it's going to save you a ton of work and headaches and nightmares. Maybe not for you because you may not you might be the person who actually didn't who who leaves and goes someplace else. But for your organization, uh, your organization will be crying hard over a bunch of small little changes. So just reach out, yeah. get it funded, or or also to if it's not worth the funding to go do, maybe it's not worth doing. Hmm. Right. First and foremost, we should you, you should always have in your mind the continuity plan. Like what happens if if you go away? You should never do anything that is going to jeopardize the continuity plan for your church. Right. Yeah. I mean, these technical environments are very um they're very highly configured and they need to be very structured. And sometimes we're not always structured thinking like and, and everybody's on a on a continuum on how structured their thinking is i'd like mine to be a little bit more structured than it is um but you need to always be worrying about even if that's not your natural tendency you have to be thinking about it for your systems of your church um because they they want it that way even if they don't know that okay so let's move on to the next one so the first two were kind of about like blocks don't don't change the core blocks and don't fork the blocks and make some small changes and have your own version um, just reach out like fund it or if you can't fund it at least put the idea in the idea board sometimes we take some of those ideas in fact in the last two weeks I've seen ideas come through that we just went ahead and did within days of of the submission and it's like yeah, that's a good idea like I, mm-hmm. I totally see that um, the third one uh don't use HTML blocks um, or pre-post functions on other blocks um, to put JavaScript or CSS to modify core functionality or hide things or or do things. We, we have spent hours when we did this, uh, or we somebody on our team at, at the church did this, and we didn't know. And we spent like hours, like, why is this column gone? It's just vanished, like. It shouldn't be happening. I'm pretty sure. Like it's the code is still there, and it turned out that somebody snuck a JavaScript um, function or I can't remember JavaScript or CSS to hide a particular column, and we just wasted time. Uh, several of us. So it's a time waste. Yeah, and I've been on on that too, where I've been helping someone and say, "Hey, there's a bug. This this button's not showing." And of course, I might, my first thought is, "Well, let's look in the code. Let's see where this bug is." And after many much time it was like oh it's a css thing someone just hit it um which is the last thing you'd think of right when you're a developer (laughs) well and i i think we all as human beings give ourselves too much credit for what we'll remember or what we'll understand in the future i i'm shocked at how much i don't remember and they don't understand of the work that i did so i love adding little love notes to myself about like how this works why it's done doing this way and and most of all not doing things i'm going to regret um, it's like basically saying, Hey, the lights are on in my house right now. And I know I'm gonna have to cross this in a second. I'm gonna turn the light switch on and cross this room. Why would I set all these trip hazards for myself? <laughs> I know I'm about to turn off the lights. and I know I have to cross this big room. Why would I do that to myself? Don't I respect and love myself more than that? And that's what this is. Cause we don't understand that in two weeks, it's like turning the light off and we're going to trip on this. 
or, or think more in terms of your spouse. Your spouse is going to have to cross the room and they don't know what's been done to the room and you're just going to turn the lights off. That's, that's your coworker mm-hmm. in six months coming back and, and doing this. Yeah. So just don't do it. Again, go back to number two. What is it that needs to be changed? Put the idea in, fund it, or don't do it. Um, it's yeah. in your best interest. Yep. Okay. Don't hook into an element on a page unless it has a .js prefix or it will break on an update. So this is giving even a little bit more technical. So sometimes we do place hooks in, mm-hmm. in certain places that allow you to do some JavaScript. Um, and those hooks are usually around a CSS class. Right. And so we will decorate um, that particular element with, uh, I think it's JS dash. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you see a JS dash as a CSS element, like JS dash, whatever the element is, we will typically use that as well in our JavaScript in core code to, to do and hide or, or move that thing. So those are the kind of sanctioned interface points where you can, you know, do things with. But j- just be aware, the previous rules still apply. Don't, don't mess with the core uh, code. Yeah, I would say those like an internally sanctioned hook points depending on what you're doing maybe it's okay but that's a big maybe and, and it's going to depend on the on the specifics so yeah probably best to consult the develop channel and ask around yeah but the best version of rock you're going to have is the is the out of the box kind of clean version like you don't want to be putting trip hazards in yeah okay so let's do let's talk about something that you should do uh, everything should be documented um um uh, People don't love that, but yeah, that that's a discipline you have to build over time, um, and it, it'll come in several forms. Whether you're working with a partner, they should be providing you with documentation on what they did to your rock system, or w- what the code is and how it works. Just the basics. We also at um, Central Christian Church we created like run books, we called them. So for any part of the system that was fairly custom there's a page in Rock with all the run books and you can click on one of those and then read all about the details of that. But you say custom, but I mean, the run book could be anything like how should you set up camp check-in? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that may not even be custom, but it's like, this is how, this is how we do it. Yep, it, for sure. That, so that's a perfect example of another run book. I think we had one called Creating Events. And, and um, another good example of documentation is use the description field, right? In a right. data view or a report, or a workflow, write what that thing is for. What is it? What's its purpose? Where is it used and referenced? Because finding where something is referenced from can be tricky later on, but you know when you're creating it where it's referenced. So add that in the description. Put a link in there. Yeah, within our team, we say it, the description field is a required field. Even though there's no red dot and even though there's no validation for us, description is a required field. And we haven't all, all, always done that. So that's like something we're working on, but that is a new thing. So now if, if we go into a workflow and it's been made since that statement was made and there's no description, that like that's a little bit of a ding. Like, yeah. no, that was a required field. Um, and, I, and I have a, I, I'm not the best with that too. Like, so I. You, look, you, you end up becoming better as you've gotten burned by it. So <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I, when I create one of those workflows, I just document the whole thing right there in the, in the description because I've gotten burned. I burned yeah. myself. Well, with experience too, I know like sometimes I'm working on a workflow. I'm like, who the heck made this thing? Who thought this? And I know like 
I'm like in my head, I'm like, it's probably you. <laughs> <laughs> You're beaming you. Yeah. So I, me. I always go check who did. I'm like, yep, that was me. That was um, I just, I did recently happen too. I was like, who, who made this workflow? It was for RX. I, and I knew who did it because it was just happened. I'm like, why didn't I put a description in on this stuff? And so I went back and added the descriptions because I felt, you know, like that's needed for the next person. But I was running and gunning. I needed yeah. those workflows. I needed them. I was working on it in like late at night. I had to have them for the morning. So in my mind, I was like, well, you know, I was just having to work quickly and no excuse. Um, Another example is like logging changes. So I know we added the the notes block to the workflow type details. So when you make a change to a particular workflow type, definitely go in there and say what you did and why and who did it. It, That's really helped a lot at... um, it, a couple churches that I know of where they've realized somebody was making a change that they didn't know, but it was because they logged it. Yeah, and I highly recommend that every church creates a content channel that's a change management log. Oh. And it might, you know, like you said, the workflow, there's a thing there. Okay, go use that. But there's so many places in Rock that there's not a thing to, to log, and it, it probably doesn't make sense to add. Yeah. But in a lot of systems that we work with, we have a change log. We keep a change log um, for that in the corporate space, it's called configuration management. And it's a very healthy thing. It's often the thing that makes you want to quit your job. But because <clears throat> it goes it goes too far. You, you can't change anything on these big servers without going through a change management yeah, process tape. that takes weeks. And you have to go in front of a board of people. And oh, they, boy. So we don't want to go that far. But having a change log, like, hey, you changed the network interface or you changed this or that. You um, changed the site domain name on this particular date from this to that yeah trust me too when you hit when you hit a bug or a problem the two things you're going to look for we have video coming on this is what changed and what's different if and you when. have a change log you can go right to the change log and say oh so and so changed this you know two days ago i wonder if that might have been the change that, that did it yep and it's it's usually more like i don't know this problem started and it looks like it started three months ago what did we change back then well go go look so from a psychology perspective, what I would say is you're probably having one of two reactions to this idea of the change log. <laughs> you're either probably very excited and can't wait to go do it. I would say tamp it down a bit. Like You're probably going to go a little too far than you want. Right. More commonly, though, you're probably like, no, come on. Like It's not that big of a deal. I would say, whoa, whoa, Like you really need to do this. Um, Just start simple and light. Like it should be lightweight and fairly friction free. Yeah. And I would turn it into a bit of a game. Like if you do well, like keep metrics on it. Whoever does the most change logs per month, maybe with, with not without like weird ones, um, like I typed into the notepad window, um, then they get a prize. And if, and if you didn't do one that you should have, maybe there's like a, Minus. you know, like a swear jar, you have like a didn't do the config jar and you have to put a dollar in or something. So turn it into a game that it can be fun and, and and very helpful. But that to me is probably the biggest thing you could do to to make your life easier um, and respect the people who work with you. Um, and I think too, like we all want to th- think of ourselves as IT professionals and take take um, pride in the fact that that's what IT professionals do. They they document their changes. Okay, here's another one. Uh, don't use workflows as data storage or tables. So in that one, you're saying somebody's like set up a workflow and 
and the records, the instances of the workflows coming in are the permanent record of whatever that thing was doing. It's a persistence mechanism, yeah. I mean, it's too abstract. How do you get the data out of it? What, what it's, there's risk that someday somebody's going to f- turn the, the setting on to say <laughs> delete old completed workflows. Um, I would say in those cases, what you should be doing is writing the, the result of the workflow should write data to the appropriate, appropriate place, like whatever it is, whether yeah. it's an attribute on a person or a change to a, an entity, the workflows should be thought of as kind of transient. They're going to go away. Right. And there's actually a video I did on, on this topics, you know, because we've seen this a lot, is that workflows are inside the body. The workflows would be the muscle and things like connection statuses or, or um, person attributes would be the bones, the structure. And so if you have a body with no bones and all muscle, you might be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you're still a blob on the ground and you're not, <laughs> you can't move because you're, you don't have anything to have resistance and to have structure to pull on. And so you really need to have both. And what we've seen is people who've created these huge workflows, like 90 some activities, and they, they become many applications and they're impossible to, to support. In fact, the ones that I've seen that are big have never actually seen production use because even in the development process, they've become so unmanageable that they can't even get the get it done. And so instead of that, use things like connections and use multiple workflows as little muscles to pull things in different directions. So you might have like 10 workflows instead of one big one. Yeah, so if you ever, ever found yourself saying in a data view or, or, or another workflow saying, oh, I need to go check a workflow to see if there's an instance of it, that's a red flag. Yeah, workflows should kind of come alive, do their thing, and go hopefully away. go away. In some cases, they might pause and wait for the human to come back within a given period of time. That's that's acceptable. Ooh, and we'll talk about those in, in a few items down, down yes. below. Okay, so let's keep going. Oh, right that was here. the next one. <laughs> Don't leave workflows running forever if not needed. Yeah, so it, this is sort of the maintenance check um, topic. If you should have kind of your finger on the pulse of, of workflows, you should have a report that shows you for each workflow type how many are still non completed, like how many are still running. If you have never looked at that, you will be surprised at how many workflows you may have written that are still running. And you are it's just one of those things that you want to stay on top of. You, you want to figure out why. Why did it not complete? You shouldn't have to go back three years into your list and see that there's workflows still running. They, they take up uh, horsepower. Every time Rock's workflow processor runs, it has to look at all those and see if it needs to do something. So... Yeah, and that, that's that's what just happened to me after the conferences. The workflows I created real quickly, they didn't complete, and there's thousands of them still running. And luckily, I found it. I went back and checked. Like I did the what you're saying is the, the checkup. But I've run the, some checkup scripts that I have, and um, I've made a little bar chart of active workflows that were started back you know four years ago. And it's there's thousands of them on some yeah. of these systems, and it's like whoa, that's such big tax on rock. And we've all we've all done that, so it's again no judgment, but take action and and get get your finger on the pulse of that. We'll we'll talk about maintenance checkups a little yeah. bit more later. Um, one thing we just did on this though, it's a feature that's going to be coming up. I believe it's not coming in thirteen, 
but there's a feature we're adding to workflows that as you create the type, it's going to say, what's the longest that a workflow should be out there running? And I kind of call it the Reaper feature. <laughs> it's going to come kill that workflow if it gets to be too long. Um, yeah, it's I, sort of the safety uh, uh, net. Like if, if, if it's a year old, it's total garbage. So just delete it, even if it's still running. Yeah, and so a good example is if I was doing these these um, workflows for um, the conference, I would go, oh yeah, well, yeah, make sure that these things are all dead within like a few uh, days of the conference. Dead not mean you delete them. Dead mean it's a, just don't make them run anymore. Right. And that would have been a, a complete easy safety net. Um, right. That feature can also help. I know some people have written into their workflows this like loop where it kind of checks the how old it is and then it auto completes itself. So this will kind of like build that feature in. Yeah. Okay. So don't have hundreds or thousands of values in a defined type. Hmm. And what? so why is that? Yeah. People may not realize that the data you put in those defined types, they're like little dictionaries or books that get stored into memory. And like, we want those to be super, super fast. But if you start putting volumes of data in there, you're going to potentially affect the, your system uh, negatively. Yeah. And so that comes up sometimes when you talk about a new feature and someone might say, oh, we don't need a new table for that. We'll just use defined values. And sometimes that's appropriate if you're going to have 10, 20, 30, uh, maybe 100, maybe 200 values, you're okay. But if you start putting 1,000, 100,000, oh, no. you're, you're, you're misusing that feature in that a lot of people don't realize it's stored in memory. Yeah. And, and when, when they are told that, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that doesn't make sense then. So there could be an edge case. You know, if you're writing a huge feature, maybe, but... Um, I would probably find a partner to turn it into a real entity. <laughs> yeah, I'd find someone else in the community to run that idea by yeah. um, and make sure you have a lot of memory in your server. Don't test in production with tests that creates lots of new person records. Um, person yeah. records can't be deleted. Yeah, they're very difficult. And even if you try to collapse them into an existing record, the the remnants that it creates behind the scenes is going to live forever. Um, so that's that's a perfect example of why you should have a test system. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to be doing any kind of load testing or tests, you should use a test system, not your production system. Yep. Um, don't host your development and production instances on the same server. Sometimes it's easier, but it doesn't mean it's a good idea. There, there can be uh, situations that happen where one system can interfere with the other, and that would just put you at greater risk. So it's kind of like one of those, you're at a higher risk level if you're trying to blend a test system and a production system together. It's definitely right. not a corporate 500 best practice. Yeah. And so why do you have a, de a dev system? It's so that you don't impact your production system. But when it's on the same hardware, it's impacting the production system. So Yeah, you could, you could have something that um, starts a bad process and just takes over and destroys IIS. And now all of a sudden you've affected your production system. There's uh, several uh, situations that could haunt you if you did that. Yeah, it also leads to to a very well. It leads to a more complex configuration too, where that's tripped us up a few times. Where the configuration is a little bit more um, complex, and and a lot of times you don't assume that when you're working with the system. 
And you're like, oh, well, why, why is this? Oh, oh, because it's the, the dev systems running on this too. And, the, and the, the complexity of that was tricky. Uh, be sure to install security updates quickly. I mean, that seems like it goes without saying, but um, we, we're, we try to take this super seriously. So when there's a security patch, if you see us patching three different versions of Rock, 10.4, 11.4, and 12. something, like you should jump on that. You should go out and get that and apply it as soon as possible. Yeah, this realizes uh, in technical environments, there's a lot of responsibilities and security is always one of the top priorities. And we're treating it as top priority, and we just it does, but it doesn't do any good if we treat it that way, and people don't put the uh, uh, security updates in play. And and so on the release notes page, if you didn't know this already, there's now uh, a little sidebar at the top that says which are the sec- you know secured versions of Rock, and yep. there's three at the moment. And right now, one of the things I'm working on is getting that next year's pen test all you know researched, configured, who who's going to do it, get the quotes. And let me tell you, it is a lot of money to have mm-hmm. these tests done. Yeah. And it's money well spent, but only if it actually gets installed quickly. Um, regarding the last note I just mentioned, let me clarify that. It's the least, um, it's the most secure version for that particular major release of Rock. So, for example, I think it says 12.2. It doesn't mean 12.3, 12.4, 12.5 are not secure. It means you've got to be at least 12.2. Um, obviously, the future patches of that same major version are, are just as secure. Correct. Okay, next one. Share lessons learned. I mean, you should, you should always be sharing. I, I, you know, sharing is kind of like my philosophy for life. I think it's my life first uh, um, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I, I take that to mean teaching and training as well and sharing. So some of the ways that we've done that are we've held lunch and learns. Um, you know, everybody has to eat and it's a perfect time to, you know, talk. Why not talk about something that is very valuable? So Get some food, get your staff together, and teach them about something in rock, whether it's a best practice you're trying to enforce in them or something new that they need to be aware of. Um, I think we already mentioned the run books. That's another way to, to share, but um, blogging. Um, well, I think sharing amongst the community, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, some, a big situation happened recently with a church that ran into a pretty big issue that you know their own activity had caused, but... Honestly, I don't know if I would have thought that that would have been a caused the problem too. So I learned a lot from it. And so I just like to go around and share because, hey, if someone trips on a route, you know, the, the polite thing to do is to point down at it and say, hey, watch out for that route. So that as you're hiking as a team, that everybody trips over the same route. Um, and again, a lot of these things in hindsight, they're like, oh, well, of course, but they, it's only in hindsight that they seem so obvious. So as you have run into those lessons learned, open up a permanent notebook and put a section in there called Rx and write down for next year's Rx the topic that you want to share, especially if it's a big one and everybody needs to know. Like that, Those are good examples of things that need to be shared at the conference. Yeah. Put it in the conference book, throw it in the rocket chat. 
I saw there's a, a, a guy who does a lot of technical training for a specific product, like in the industry. And he does a lot of like Q and a, and he has a thing, a rule that if you ask a question, you have to ask the question on behalf of a friend, even if it's your question. <laughs> and he does it kind of like tongue in cheek. So it kind of reduces people's like, you know, they don't want to look stupid by asking a question that you might already know. Mm. And uh, he, so everybody, I didn't pick up on it because I was at one of his online seminars until after I saw everybody doing it. I'm like, oh, this must be a thing. But they would say, I have, a, I have a friend who who wants to know. And so you might put it in, hey, I have a friend who tripped on this route and did this. <laughs> You don't have to necessarily say it's you because yeah. some some of the things are kind of embarrassing in hindsight. Like I've done it, and I'm like, I don't want to tell people that not to do that because I just did that. So just say, hey, I, had a, a, I was working with someone the other day, or I <laughs> I was working with a friend and they did this, or I know someone. You know yourself, so yeah. So don't be embarrassed. Use a mnemonic like that to help you if it help if it makes you feel better. Okay, and the last one that we have for today at least is to really do a health check on your system like know your system yeah there as time goes on you're going to find things that you you should check regularly and if you don't have uh, that documented yet you should document it like here are the here's my little checklist of things that I check weekly or monthly and a few of the things that I think are important are how many workflows are running successfully um, or still running, rather. That was the item we talked about earlier. How long are jobs taking to run? Is it abnormal for a job that normally takes five minutes to now be run, taking 30 minutes? Um, are there errors in the jobs, the job history um, that you should be aware of? Like, I, I would go look at that stuff. And yeah, there's a long list of things you probably should do, and you should build that list up over time and, and you know, share it. Um, it used to be, that cars weren't always as reliable as they are today. I know that some people maybe didn't live through that, but my mom, when I was a kid, taught me to check the oil every time I fill, filled the tank. You know, you, you have to wait anyways. You might as well check the oil. I don't do that today because cars are much more um, reliable, but it kind of harkens back to that. Like you have to go around and check. And I feel like what I talk about with some of the people on the team is you have to feel the system. There's a science to this too, but there's just a feeling you get and you should know how your system runs. Like think of a captain of a ship. A lot of times he'll know something's wrong. Just hey, something I'm feeling a vibration or I, there's something not quite right. You have to know your ship and you have to know, oh yeah, that job, it takes long, but it's because of X, Y, Z. And that's within normal for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. It may not be normal for the next church, but it's normal for you. But you have to know that. I love to look into IIS logs, like definitely be checking, making sure your IIS logs are running. Go into those IIS logs. Every time you go into those logs, you'll see something that is interesting. You'll see like a bot maybe attacking you or you'll see, um, I was in a, a, a church's um, IIS logs a, a couple of months ago. They were asking for some help on something. And I noticed that their keep alive wasn't being called and I was like, oh, you must have like a DNS configuration that's not, the keep alive isn't calling itself like it should. Not a big deal. Like it's it's not something that is going to cause, you know, harm, but it was of interest and it, and it pointed out like a, a misconfiguration. Hmm. But every time I go into someone's IIS logs, you can see stuff in there like, um, there's another one. Oh, I saw a ton of 404 messages to a endpoint 
And I'm like, what, you have a system out somewhere. And it wasn't a rock endpoint. It was like a PHP endpoint. But it, you could tell it was not like a bot. It was like it had some kind of ministry name in it. I'm like, I think you have some old software mm. somewhere that's calling the new www, which is now rock, but it was formerly probably something else. Like you need to go find that because it's it's a small little like tax on yep. on the server. That reminds me of uh, talking about logs. You know, when I was in my email days, we would periodically go and look and we would see an email message that was like literally looping through multiple systems forever. Like if we hadn't got in, in there, saw it and removed it, it would just slowly build up and you'd over time you'd get hundreds or thousands. Now this was back in the crazy days of email well, with multiple different protocols. But yeah, but you know what the sad thing is that a big company like that, that email might have been put in there by somebody that was like their health check. Oh, it was. And it was like <laughs> we and by taking it out like production systems like the the the, the uh, manufacturing yep. system could now go down. <laughs> I uh, don't want to name his name, but yeah, there was a guy who who did that. He was monitoring the, the speed of our email backbone. He was cut from another sector. Um, yeah, I sh- that's a that's the scary stuff. History. When, when you see stuff like that, and you're like you're you're so afraid to remove or do something about it because you don't know what somebody is bail, bailing <laughs> wired and duct taped together. Like a, I think the the main. Point though is you know get to know and ha- put your finger on the pulse of your rock server and you should understand and and know how it f- behaves and which things are should be of certain sizes. Oh, that's another one. The size of tables. We I had a, a script or a, a report that would just show you list out the size of all the tables because if um, if it got out of hand, it got grew too much. You, you might have a problem that you didn't know. Um, we would then set up metrics on certain things. So we'd write a metric so we could see a graph to see it changing over time. There's just so many things you can do inside of Rock. Um, so that would be maybe another item. Check your metrics that you set up weekly or monthly. Yeah, and as you start this, you're going to feel very like it's a waste of time because you you look in the IIS logs, you're like, I don't know what to look for. Well, that's, yeah, the first few times you go through that, you don't know what to look for. But after you start seeing the pattern... In the future, you'll go, wait, I never saw this stuff in here before. This is new. And sometimes I would just, and in the IS log specifically, I just kind of run, I'll go through them in detail. And then I just kind of scroll up and down real fast. And I'm looking for, you'll see patterns of like, oh, here's a whole bunch of the same requests. Because your eye gets pretty good at like seeing patterns. And you're like, oh, wait, what's that? And you'll stop and look at it. Oh, like that's a big bot attack. Maybe I should put something on the firewall to, to stop that. It's interesting because in, in physical health, um, the healthy human temperature has a range, right? And so you can, if you take your temperature regularly, get to know what your range is, what your healthy, typical, normal temperature is. And it might be different from someone else in your family or a friend or you know an average across a population, but that's your normal temperature. And so you're better able to determine when you have something else that's going on because you can you can see that change or that movement. It might still be considered slightly normal on an average, but it may not be normal for you. And it's an indicator of something else that you should look into. And, you know, I don't think anything gets simpler over time, like it from people to systems to, to anything that complexity grows. And so the regularity and consistency of understanding your system 
not just once. Don't just look at it and go, oh, it looks good. Okay, we're good forever. But just getting in there and regularly understanding what's going on is the key to helping prevent or curtail some of the the chaos and complexity. Yeah, and just know that your server does have, <clears throat> like, like the body, it has symptoms, and you have to just look for the symptoms. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these log files and such, and like with some of the stuff that Nick brought up, it's basically literally puking in the corner and you're just not paying attention. And if you just go, you're like, oh yeah, that's not good. Like it's, it's not obvious. You don't have to have like a PhD to know like, oh my gosh, like there's 10,000 workflows running every, yeah, that's bad. That's yeah. it puking in the corner. You're not even looking. Um, just saying, open the door, look. Yep. Take a whiff. Okay, we're good. <laughs> oh my gosh. The word pictures never stop no. here in case someone hasn't picked up on that yet. <laughs> so, and it's just trying to pick up. And there's always going to be a lots of little things that are going to pass through. Those those are fine. It's the big things that can make a huge difference. Yep. I'm working on an, a video concept and it talks about aerodynamics and, and, perf- and efficiency within a system. So like imagine you buy a brand new um, a Tesla. I say Tesla because it actually has a very very good uh, um, efficiency in terms of going through wind. You wouldn't look know it by looking at it, but it's actually one of the most aerodynamic cars you can buy. If you look at like a Lamborghini Countach, like from the 80s, 90s, it was actually one of the most inefficient uh, aerodynamic cars available. You look at it, it looks like a wedge. You'd think, oh, this must be super aer- aerodynamic. No, actually a semi-truck. A modern-day <laughs> semi-truck has better aero aero. Um, aerodynamic, aerodynamic efficiency than a, than a Lamborghini wow. Countach. So, so let's say you're okay. You got rock. We comes out of the box. It's this. It's like Tesla. It's like it's pretty air efficient. We're always trying to do better. But not, let's just say, well, you decide it'd be cool, you know, to drive with the doors wide open, <laughs> and, and that's kind of what maybe you've done with with some of your workflows. You've put a you put a stick in your door, and, and you're you're driving it with it wide open. You're like. This is this is terrible. Like my efficiency has gone way down. You know, right. this car is inefficient. No, it's the way we use the car or the add-on that we bolted on. Like you might bolt on some crazy aftermarket um, spoiler that looks really cool, but is not air efficient, aerodynamic at all. Yeah. You can't blame necessarily the car. It's it's the bolt-ons. It's the plug-in that you maybe have, or the custom code that you had written, or the fact that you're driving with both doors open, and um, you know maybe a shovel out the window. <laughs> the front trunk is open. A big <laughs> yeah, air. Could you imagine? <laughs> uh, so those are the things that we just need to spot and look for, and, and just know that as much as the product has to be efficient, your usage of the product is probably going to be the biggest contributor. You can have an inefficient product if run efficiently will still be okay. But if you have an efficient product run inefficiently, it's terrible. It's horrible. Um, And that's what we're trying to point out. So this is, I'm sure, not a complete list of all things that could ever be shared, but it is our list for today. And it is something that we're going to put out on the rock site so it's accessible in the future. And we're going to work to continue to compile and share best practices as we trip over those roots ourselves or as we become aware of something that, oh gosh, I'm not sure we've shared that before. That's a great tip. So uh, we'll look for other ways to continue sharing that information so we can all increase our efficiency and uh, and learn dynamically from each other instead of having to trip on the root individually every time. So keep an eye out for that. This was great to be able to share some of this information um, and, and we hope that it helps you. Thanks for tuning in for this special edition of Rockcast and we will catch you on the next one. 
This episode of Rockcast is brought to you by Rock Partner Missional Marketing, an SEO and advertising services provider. Connect with Missional Marketing today at rockrms.com slash partners.